Welcome to Marketecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews of leading technology vendors. I'm Jeremy Kagan, and I'm here with Toby and Vaz from DoorDash. They run the retail media network, and they're going to tell us all about it. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, Jeremy. How are you? Nice to meet you. I'm very good. It's a gray, gross day here in New York, so hopefully wherever you are is a little sunnier. Where are you located today? For all of us, it's gray, and we're all New York today. Ah, fantastic. Same time zone. That always works well. Well, we want to get started. There's a lot of interesting things we want to talk about. First of all, I think everyone who is listening probably knows that DoorDash has a retail media network, but I think we'd love to get a little bit about the background of when this started, how it's been growing, and where you are today. So could you give us a sense of, first of all, your formal titles and roles and when you took over, and then what did you inherit and where is it going? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kick off. My name is Toby Espinosa. If we take a step back, I've been at DoorDash for around nine years. DoorDash is a company. We will be turning 11 this year. When I joined DoorDash, we were a small, mighty, regional, probably sixth or seventh largest food delivery company in the United States. When we would wake up in the morning, we would dream the someday of being as large as Domino's delivery and the reason I bring that up in a little bit of our history is that fundamentally, what Vasily and I believe we are building here is a platform for growth. Whether you are a business on Main Street or a brand within a business on Main Street, what we want to do is we want to connect consumers and those businesses to enable them to continue to grow. That's actually the same vision that our founders, Tony, Stanley, and Andy, when they started DoorDash close to 11 years ago in Palo Alto, were trying to accomplish. The way that they started to do that and that vision was by building a delivery network, today the largest e-commerce platform in the United States for local. But the vision wasn't that large or grand to begin with. It was just purely, we know that there's opportunity for these businesses to grow. Let's help them do that. As I said, my name is Tobias Minosa. I've been at DoorDash for nine years. My background in history is basically spending time with these businesses day in and day out, trying to help them grow. I started as a launcher, sleeping on air mattresses across the country, trying to convince people that DoorDash wasn't the gene brand Jordash, but actually a food delivery company. Did you really get mistaken for that? Oh, that is oh all the time, terrible. all the time. And I actually had to call my amazing mother to ask her what Jordash was. And she gave me a long history of the gene brand, which is an amazing business as well. But uh, starting as a launcher, going and selling restaurants door-to-door, -door, learning what folks needed. And if we take a step back and think about 11 years ago, it was somewhat novel to even have internet connection in a small restaurant in the outskirts of Atlanta, let alone think that some dasher is going to show up with a smartphone, pick up food, and deliver it to a consumer a mile and a half away. So the novelty was, even though it feels like it's just the way the world works today, it was actually quite novel at the time. So started there with restaurants and then built for around four years our relationships with some of the largest restaurant brands in the country that included folks like McDonald's to Chick-fil-A and both at the corporate level and franchisees, you know, small business owners who own maybe one or two local Dunkin' Donuts. Within that journey about three years ago, we started to get a lot of questions small brands wanting to build their business even further within the DoorDash platform. And this was right before the pandemic. 
And the conversations would normally go, hey, I've been on DoorDash for two, three, four years. I want to figure out a way to grow. The first way that we, me and our small but mighty, what we called our ads and promotions team in the early days thought would be the smartest way to do this was discounting. We thought if we gave you $5 off 25 to the consumer, we'd drive a bunch of volume. Toby, could you set the stage for us though? About when is this in time? Yeah, so it was about three and a half, four years ago. So, so 2019, 2020, right before the pandemic, we started getting these calls. So you started laying the foundations for what would become what you are today in sort of right before the pandemic in late 2019 or early That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And the thing that we were not experts in, we were experts in our core customer, what drove consumers to order and that behavior. But the thing we were not the expert in, which we were looking for in a manner of speaking, a co-founder to help us figure out, was an expert that knew and had built ad platforms across the country and across the globe, frankly, in a bunch of different ways, and enter my partner my partner in not crime, my partner in opportunity, Vasily. I feel that's one of the best tee-ups for an introduction, Toby. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Vasily, that was a great entrance. You couldn't be better if you were like coolly busting know, through know. the wall. I know, I know. I feel like I should, you know, s- slide in or something. So Jeremy, also maybe use this opportunity as a quick introduction of myself as well. My name is Vasily. As Toby said, I'm his partner in Opportunity. I lead our technology teams building the marketing platform or the retail media network, as you like to call it. I have a long career in product and specifically digital advertising. Prior to this, I led Instagram's advertising teams and navigated and led a lot of the transformation that the company has done in kind of like the post-cookie world with more kind of on-site experiences, et cetera, which is at the heart of their growth today. And prior to that, similar trajectory at Pinterest, right? Like, again, laying the foundations for the advertising business that drives the company today. But I think maybe what's more interesting, it's not my past, but it's more about why I was so excited to join when I got the call from Toby. And I think it goes back to two things. So one, I was born and raised in a small country far away in Greece. And funnily enough, despite my humble beginnings, I remember in our neighborhood, we had more convenience than what folks had in the United States. I remember like we would call the grocer and like literally a human being would come and deliver things to us. Like sometimes we didn't have to pay because like they they literally had a small notebook where they would keep tabs of the orders. So I think for me, like one was overall DoorDash, right? Like, and I think what it could do in terms of empowering people to take back control of their lives and time, but also having worked in digital advertising for the better part of a decade now, I was increasingly convinced that there is no good solution for the local economy, right? Like if you're if you're running a small flower shop or a taco stand or like you're a regional bottega, right? Like you don't have the time, the aptitude and the people to learn and become sophisticated in all these solutions out there. So for me, you know, when Toby made the call, I just saw an opportunity to build the growth engine for the local economy. And I stress those words because a lot of folks usually ask, it's like, okay, you're building an ads business, you're making money, right? Like, but I think for us, it's what we are doing is like deeply rooted in the mission of the company. And to be honest, like every time we fly around the country and meet folks, what they ask us for. Let me dive into that in just a second. So first of all, it sounds like you joined because you saw the huge opportunity in local. We'll dive deeper into that in just a second. But around what time was this again? What year? Two and a half years. So late twenty twenty. Two and a half years. Okay, so you've been building for two and a half years. Yeah. Dying to hear where you are right now and where you're going. 
But let's just lay a couple other foundational blocks here before we build on that. You started, let's say, two and a half, three years ago with your vision and Toby, you even further back. But how many people right now are working what we call the ads division and where are they located primarily as part of the greater door to action? Yeah, yeah, of course. We have about a couple hundred folks and they are located across the country from Atlanta to Chicago, New York to San Francisco. So we're actually quite a distributed team and about 200. So about almost 200. Can you break that down into sort of who's building product engineering, who's doing support, who's doing business development sales roughly? We are very, very focused on, They, I have a, a longtime mentor that talks a lot about the builders and sellers within an organization. So we focus a lot on making sure that we have the largest percentage of people we can building and selling. So that's the vast mm -hmm. majority of our team is product engine sales. So about half product engine, half sales, or is that a bad breakdown? It's about roughly correct. And then a few folks on the kind of strategy and operations and financial roles like that. There's always some of the, the strays around, right? Because that gives us a sense of what the organization looks like. <laughs> I would have been one of the strays, of course. So we know, uh, of course, you're part of the bigger DoorDash company. And if you want to say a few words about that, how you relate to the bigger company, and then we'll dive into a little bit about product. Yeah, absolutely. So for listeners talking a little bit about the DoorDash platform, again, nine years ago, sixth largest food delivery player in my hometown of Palo Alto, probably my mom didn't even know what we were. Today, we are the largest restaurant delivery company in the United States, doing tens and tens of billions of dollars in top line GMV or sales across the platform. A majority of our business is still in the restaurant category. It's what we're known for. But we have, over the last three, four years, also started to extend into what we call new verticals. So that is the grocery category, convenience category, alcohol, pets, flowers. We also just announced some partners uh, last week that included folks like the Vitamin Shop. So if you kind of look at our trajectory as a company, we started very much focused on restaurant delivery. We have added and continued to build on that kind of core delivery platform by adding what we think of as newer verticals. So anything from your flower shop to your grocery store, while at the same time also extending our capabilities from a consumer standpoint so that, you know, even if you don't want delivery today, but you want to pick up coffee on the way to work, you can also use DoorDash to be a pickup mechanism at your local coffee shop. So you kind of see us extending from a consumer standpoint beyond delivery, as well as beyond those certain categories within our marketplace. So this is kind of how most people would be aware of the company and you're public, of course, but from a perspective of like internal dynamics, are you a separate division? Do you operate with your own separate P&L or, you know, so that your success is based on more of the advertising success? How do you relate to the rest of the company? That's really what I'm getting at here so we can get a sense of where you sit within the organization. Yeah, it's a Good question. So we are a separate division. We think of ourselves as a kind of discrete business unit within the four walls of DoorDash. That being said, we are a little bit different or a little bit different of an ad organization in that we're not just thought of as kind of driving revenue, right? So we actually think of ourselves overall as making sure that we drive demand, so top-line incremental sales for our partners, whether they're restaurants or large consumer packaged goods like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. We are gold off of making sure we drive incremental sales for them on our platform while also driving incremental volume for our consumers. So the way that we do that is we focus is, you know, our, originally when we 
started building the business, we focused a lot on kind of promotions and consumer saving. Those products do an incredible mm-hmm. job of getting consumers excited about coming back to the platform. And so, yes, we are a separate business unit. We think of ourselves, but we are without our core marketplace, whether that's on the new vertical side or the restaurant side, we don't get to help those partners increase their sales. And so we are very aware, humbled by the fact that we are a smaller cousin of our larger marketplace partners. Well, that's where we're going to get into some of the meat of this. So let's talk a little product right now. First, I think it would be great if you, since most people are familiar with DoorDash from your food delivery and related businesses, can you walk me through where the product would appear today and what it would look like to me if I'm going through the DoorDash experience? So where might I see your ads appearing? And then we'll talk a little bit more about the breakdown of that. So first of all, just from the creative executions and experience side, where are the ads? Where do they show up and how do they work? Yeah, maybe I can take this one. As Toby mentioned, the beauty of building a retail media network is that ads, promotions, or any marketing outcome does not compete with what the consumer is trying to do, right? Like if you think about in a social environment or in a TV environment, right? Like an ad is disrupting what you're there to do. So I'm only mentioning that to say that the answer is pretty much everywhere. And we take great pride in embedding them be it on search, right? Like if you search for sushi, for example, in your neighborhood, some of the results that you're going to get are promoted, very similar to what it would look like at a place like Google or not. That same principle stays true within kind of like our more discovery heavy surfaces, maybe new, same with new verticals, etc. So basically, Jeremy, like I would say they're everywhere and we try really hard to make sure that like we are congruent and honoring what the consumer is trying to do. Well, so let me break that down a little more detail. Let's say I'm going to order some delivery. Would the ad unit appear as a listing just with a sponsored indication? And, you know, if that's the case, sort of what percentage would you devote, say, in a home screen or a a search result screen to paid versus natural results, for example? Yeah, ad load is not something we are disclosing, so I would rather not share. But maybe what I can say is two things. One, we are relatively early in the journey of our business. So probably Mm -hmm. the number is lower than what you would expect. And two, we try really hard to not disrupt the consumer experience. So we've taken a very principled way of growing that number. So if I said less than half, I wouldn't be out of bounds? Yes, you wouldn't. Excellent. And then let me ask you a related question, of course. With the ad units, do they primarily look like just a normal listing, but with a sort of a boosted position? Or do you have other units that would be present and aware? And I have some other questions about creative, but if you could just kind of outline what sorts of creative options are currently available, and we will talk about what you have planned for the future a little bit later. Great. So maybe taking a step back, right? We cater to two different customers. One is the merchants, the canonical example being a restaurant, and our primary product there is sponsored listings. And then on the other side of the business, we cater to brands and manufacturers, like people producing products that are being sold within retail, et cetera. So think CPG brands and the canonical product there is sponsored products. So let's start with the sponsored listing business. The sponsored listing creative is native. So it would look exactly like any other result on DoorDash with, of course, the additional necessary disclosure. In terms of like additional creative opportunities that we have for restaurants, we have our homepage banner, which is kind of like the hero and most premium offering we have for advertisers, right? Because it's front and center at the top of our app. So that's the restaurant offering, right? Like moving now to CPG, again, the sponsored products, which is the basic product, 
is native, so no similar than the organic results. And then we've recently launched what we call sponsored brands, which is, I would say, the digital equivalent of the good old NCAP that were used from retail stores that gives brands mm -hmm. an opportunity to better tell their story, feature more of their product suite, kind of like in a richer, more immersive way. So would that look more like a takeover of the screen? No, that is not something that is, again, something that we would like to do, right? Because again, going back to our principles, you would be hurting drastically the consumer experience. That would look more like a carousel that is branded and has multiple products from a single brand featured. Excellent. Okay, so that's some more like what we're familiar with in, say, almost an Instagram carousel or something like that. Yes, yes. For a point of comparison. So it sounds to me like there's two types of customers you have here. One, you have the very native customers who are already on your platform, who work with you to get their food delivered to their customers. And that sounds like a, really the large portion of the sponsored listings that you mentioned as your product. And correct me if I use the wrong terminology. And the sponsored brands sounds like we're maybe more of the domain of national brands selling products that might come through the more expansive delivery options you have. Is that a fair way to break that down? That's right. Yeah, the way I would think about it is, again, easy mental model, sponsored listings is a store on DoorDash. So yes, mm -hmm. the primary example, as Vasily was saying, is a restaurant because most of the stores, the four wall entrepreneurs on DoorDash today are restaurants. But we also have four wall entrepreneurs that have a flower shop or a, an alcohol retailer. And those folks can also purchase sponsored listings. The other side of this are brands within those stores. So it could be a Pepsi, which is a brand within Taco Bell, or it could be, yes, you know, the traditional Hershey bar in 7-Eleven. So that's kind of the easier way that I think about it are stores and then brands within those stores. All right. This is a great area to dig a little deeper. So currently that means that you have a lot of the endemic advertisers doing the sponsored listings. That's something I guess we would have all expected. If I'm listening to this later and I'm thinking, well, I'm representing a brand, what kind of brands and categories are currently having success on the platform and advertising? And I do have a couple of questions about the execution after you give us a kind of a rundown. Yeah. So on the customer side, you're correct in saying that we, as a platform, primarily because of what Silly was talking about, which is we want to make sure that everything that we showcase to the consumer is relevant to what the consumer's trying to do. If you think about DoorDash, again, 10 years ago, it was completely novel to get any restaurant or store or item within a store delivered to your door in less than 30 minutes. That was a completely novel thought. And as the entire economy moves further and further towards what we think of as in what we call the convenience economy, which is everything is impulse, I'm sitting at home, I'm hungry, and I want to get something now, that consumer experience is really sacred to us. Because you are, for the analogy in the traditional kind of grocery space, all of our customers are at the checkout aisle within the grocery store, and they haven't selected what's in their basket yet. That kind of makes sense. So it is that totally. we are in this really end of the aisle, high impulse, all the way down the funnel moment. And I'm very hungry and I want something now, but I also don't know exactly what I want. That is our consumer. And so when you think about our two core customers, which are stores within the DoorDash experience and brands within those stores within the DoorDash experience, what we wanted to make sure is we built products where the consumer was excited to participate or to work with our advertisers. 
in a very traditional and organic fashion. The products that we went out and built, sponsored listings for our core restaurant audience is kind of the largest. That is performing incredibly well to get your kind of idea on performance for our core customers. Not only is it performing really well from an incremental sales perspective, but it also is, it's a new type of model within the advertising world, which is different from our peer set, which is different from others, that it's a CPA-based auction product. So the way that it works is I'm a local Thai store. I decide I want to grow my sales on DoorDash. I go into the self-serve ad manager or portal. I turn on advertising, turn on the kind of auction product that is completely managed by DoorDash, and I am off to the races. There's nothing further. And as Vasily was talking about, the ad unit, again, is the same as the organic ad unit with very small tweaks in terms of creative. So very, very small tweaks within the creative. You can have an entire growth and ad product built within seconds. The other very cool thing is that small businesses, and particularly four-wall entrepreneurs, they are incredible businesses when it comes to producing cash, but they're often cash-strapped. And what a CPA model does is it basically allows them to turn on a growth engine without putting their own capital at risk. Because we only take our dollars back when and if we send them an order. So it puts all of the risk on DoorDash's shoulders for these small businesses. That's kind of like the core offering and why both it's performing well from an incremental sales perspective, but it's also novel from a completely blue ocean. When you think about budget, it's a budget that we have created ourselves to some extent. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. You've uh, you yeah. actually opened up a couple of really good areas to dive deeper. So the first one, let me just make sure I'm hearing you correctly, yeah. is like a big portion of this right now is the people already who are customers on your platform, they can essentially turn these on. It's relatively automatic to take their own listing with a few modifications and they pay on a cost per order basis. That's the A part, right? That's exactly right. Okay, so that's a great endemic group. And as you say, it's kind of like essentially for them extending them credit, which is really a nice thing. Let me ask you about the other piece of that, the brands and Are there people who are off the platform who come on through that self-serve or is that a different customer path? Yeah, great question. So within the brand category, so now brands within the four walls, we elected to do a kind of more traditional model. So it's a CPC-based model. If you are a Hershey's or a Pepsi or whoever you might be within one of our stores listed on DoorDash, still endemic, we'll charge you in a Mm CPC-based fashion. And those are also performing incredibly well. Again, we are seeing incredible percent numbers in terms of new-to-brand customers and incredibly high IROAS numbers, primarily because, again, if you think about where we are in the funnel for those brands, we're in a high-impulse category. I'm within the experience. I want to check out. We're at the cashier stand, and we're putting your you know, Reese's in front of the user, and now I want Reese's that I'm ordering. So those products are performing very well. To your question on non-endemic, We do not Mm -hmm. do that today. We want to make sure, again, our principle of of we have a long way to go to make, to optimize the system for our endemic brands with already within the DoorDash experience who already have sales flowing through. And so that's our core focus today. Just so you want to add anything on our thought process there? That was a great answer. I think maybe just reiterating two things that Toby said. One, to my knowledge, and Jeremy, you should call me out, right? Like this is the first true CPA risk-free model out there in the industry. And that is something like that we are very proud of. And then the second thing is the prioritization of endemic categories, right? Like DoorDash is the largest local marketplace in the United States. We have so much opportunity to help 
our existing customers grow. And I think that also is congruent with the consumer experience. So that is our main focus right now. That doesn't mean we won't open it up down the road, but I feel we have a long way to go. No, this is great. What we're trying to do is put this in perspective for people who might be thinking, hey, is this right for me? So right now you've used the example of Hershey bars and Pepsi a couple of times. Are those actual customers? And uh, I did want to also ask, you know, if you can give me some examples of sort of the size and profile of the customer. Who's buying? Is it the Hershey brand manager? And by the way, you did mention CPC. Is that cost per click an add to basket click or is that a going to an ad page? What are we looking at there from a CPA perspective? So I'll start on the customer profile. We Mm -hmm. today have both the smallest of brands listed on the DoorDash platform, your local Thai restaurant via our self-serve ad manager launching within that experience and basically being a part of our auto bidder. So that's kind of the full service taken care of with a product end to end. We have that customer. Mm -hmm. We have large restaurant brands. So your Chick-fil-A's, McDonald's of the world, buying their products full serve and being a little bit more nuanced on their strategies and tactics. And we also have the largest brands in the world, your Procter & Gamble's, Hershey's, et cetera, buying within the core CPC-based model brands within the store. If you look at those customers, there is not a single large CPG brands of the top 25 brands in the country we work with from a CPG perspective. All of them have purchased and continue to purchase within our experience, as well as the largest restaurant brand. And we are continuing to bring our product to market across the US, Canada, and Australia for the smaller restaurant. As you could imagine, that process is both self-serve and a localized sales process. And for the largest CPG brands, you were about to say you work with the top 25 brands and some of the big restaurant brands. Is it fair to say those are the two main verticals here? Restaurant and and consumer packaged goods, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think that's what we'd expect, but that's good to hear you reiterate. And are any of those categories particularly standouts that we should know about? Jeremy, you were saying, are any of those categories performing better than others? Or just a larger, I mean, from the breakdown of where you're seeing your action and revenue, is there a category that's the hot run right now where everyone's putting their budgets towards? So one could imagine what products from a consumer perspective, they love ordering from DoorDash. Those perform as well as you can imagine, for our advertisers. So restaurant is an incredible category. There are interesting things from time of day where we're seeing a great appetite, whether if it's in the lull period for restaurants or late night where consumers are having you know an affinity and are coming to the site and are looking for something from more of a very, very impulse fashion late night. I will say things that I think we did not expect from a customer perspective. The medicine area, so cold and flu, A lot of the categories that are driving a lot of the impulse economy in areas that we probably underestimated, you know, food is our bread and butter. And so we always expected folks to snack and get and get candy and get drinks and and get alcohol and those things. Bread and butter, Toby. I see what you did there. I see what you (laughs) did there. Very good. (laughs) The bread and butter. Dad joke approved. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The core of our business. But there are other categories that have been incredible. And it's a testament to the fact that I think Again, we are just in the earliest innings of this convenience economy, a bow wave, enabling every local store to bring their goods online and then to reach consumers locally. And so because we're at the beginning of that evolution, I think over time, we'll start to see some of the mega categories continue to grow. And obviously, our brands perform very well in those areas. Well, I think we've gotten a good sense of the categories. I did want to ask you just one quick question about the brand advertisers. Do you have any sort of minimums there? 
I imagine for the restaurants, it's quite low end for some of them, but for a national brand doing one of that kind of product, is there a minimum monthly spend that you guys look for before you work with them? So if you think about the evolution of our platform, we started again with promotions restaurant in 2019, 2020. Then we built out our ad platform specifically for restaurants, CPA-based model for local mom and pops. We built that self-serve. Then we Mm -hmm. started our evolution really only about two years ago, starting to think about those brand categories. So brand within the four walls. And that has grown. And so if you could imagine for the core large restaurant partners, we have full stack, self-serve, completely. The minimum spend is zero. You you know, you don't have to, you really do not have to spend. You could be spending a very small amount, come onto the platform and get access to it. On the CPG Mm -hmm. side, we started with our largest brands because there's a lot of consumer appetite and we're slowly going down the funnel to allow any brand, regardless of size and scale, the ability to purchase. The way that we're doing that, Facility can talk a little bit about these products. We launched an ad manager and we've also launched several different APIs to allow those customers to purchase in ways that they feel the most comfortable. But the short answer is we are going down the stack so that anybody anywhere that has content or their brand or their store on DoorDash can purchase our products. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy, so is it you're kind of like a horseshoe then? The smallest brands and the biggest? Yeah. Smallest brands and the biggest. This matters a lot because ultimately, like we are a hyper local marketplace, right? So being able to show you something relevant depends on our ability to like present to you your neighborhood in the best capacity possible. So like you can imagine, Jeremy, if you somehow had a minimum spend, how you might the negative effect would be that you're excluding a lot of local participants or smaller brands that are incredibly valuable to you as a DoorDash customer. So that was like a big decision that we made early on. Well, that's good to hear for the small brands, especially. Let me ask you from folks, let's talk a little bit about competitive environment because you've mentioned some of your unique characteristics. Now, if you're like me and you're coming from the Amazon world of retail media, where there can be multiple bidders for the same brand, and we have things like what we call conquesting strategies or defense strategies, do you guys see that as well? Do you allow multiple bidding for the same brand for multiple vendors, for example? And then uh, if you could just explain a little bit if compared to, say, an Amazon or an Instacart or someone else that someone might be familiar with in the space, what are your similarities and differences? Well, I'll start from a customer perspective, and then I'll let Vasily talk a little bit about bidding strategies, conquesting, et cetera, which you talked a little bit about. So if you think about our core CPA-based, small, on DoorDash-listed growth engine, There's an interesting thing, which we've always, one of our core values at DoorDash is to be maniacally customer obsessed and not competitor focused. That product actually is built almost perfectly for that because you actually cannot take your CPA dollars out of DoorDash and put them into X other platform to grow because again, you're not taking any capital risk. We're putting the risk on our backs. And only when we send you an order are we actually then collecting our dollars from sending you an incremental order. And so to that extent, we actually strategically built the business to go after completely what we think of as greenfield opportunity with budgets, which is if every small business in the United States and across the world had an unlimited credit line to go and prospect on Google and Snap and Meta and all these other places, just like the largest brands in the world do. They don't have an unlimited credit line, but they have a pretty large credit line. How would that dynamic change the growth trajectory of every single four-wall entrepreneur on Main Street? 
it completely levels the playing field from an opportunity set to allow those folks to, again, reach the consumers that want to reach them and not get this overcrowded effect where every single time you see an ad, it's one of the largest brands in the world. That's kind of the core CPA-based engine. And then when we think about the larger brands, again, those brands within the four walls, so your largest CPGs and smaller CPGs to facilities point that there's great brands locally, whether it's in our dash marts here in New York or in SF, and they carry different assortments. Those local brands might do better or worse. You know, Acme Bread in San Francisco, which is a very popular sourdough bread, can have the opportunity to advertise within the experience. They don't have product on the East Coast, and that's okay. We don't need to go top down and have minimum spends. And so if you look at that world and you think about, quote unquote, competition in the space, obviously those brands have other places to spend money, whether if it's your Amazons of the world or Instacart, et cetera. The thing that they do not have access to that, again, DoorDash is maniacally, maniacally focused on is this hyper, hyper convenience oriented order. What I mean by that is the kind of moat that we have is this heavy impulse, highly convenience-oriented consumer moment that is at the checkout aisle. And we have that across the country and depth within all of these largest markets to, you know, Whitefish, Montana, close to Glacier National Park. We have the brands listed. And so you can have that breadth and depth within our experience, heavily focused on that convenience-oriented consumer. That's a pretty good summary. And I think I'm going to probably be picking Vasily's brain right now after I, I'm going to, because I'm going to ask you before we get to the lightning round, I just want to get a sense of what you've got planned for the future, because it sounds like you've got some big plans. But Toby, before we get off of that, it sounds like to me what you're saying is, look, you're in a convenience economy as you're talking about it. You're basically adding to the cart and getting it that day, as opposed to putting it in a basket, and maybe getting it a few days later. So it's a real impulse buy, which is great for certain kinds of products that are for fresh like bread or things like that as well. So that would give it kind of a unique aspect. Is that hearing things correctly from you? That's absolutely right. And that's not to say, look, DoorDash has incredible scale in the United States. We have 30 plus million monthly active users. We have 10 plus million DashPass users. And these are people that are ordering consistently. So our scale is quite massive. So with that scale, obviously we have a bunch of users who are also doing their full basket order from the likes of Safeway within the DoorDash experience. But for us, when you think about the why we have such great returns from an advertiser perspective and such high new customer metrics, it is because of this kind of core consumer moment that we are frankly just riding the wave of very humbly. Excellent. Excellent. Well, now, before we get to the lightning round, which will be real quick, I just want to ask if you can give us a window into the future, like what's coming in the next year or two that we should be looking for innovative, new, you're proud of, you're building right now, what should advertisers expect? Well, a lot and a lot of cool stuff, hopefully. I think, look, you probably heard from both our voices, right? Like we're excited. This is an incredibly strategic area for the company and our customers, and we're investing big. As you think about the future, right? Like I think about three areas, basically. One is, look, ultimately we need to give you the tools to grow. In the beginning, you give everybody the same tool and it works. And as your business grows, you have to cater to more individual needs, right? Like there might be a restaurant that is really doing poorly in the early afternoon. So a product there could give you more control to reach customers during a happy hour or on a happy hour promotion. Similarly, you can imagine being able to reach consumers that are new to your brand or have been lapsed. So a lot of what we're looking in this area is giving more control back to our customers to achieve the, the exact outcome that they're looking for. Not just more sales, but like sales the way they want them, from the people they want them at the time that they want them. 
The second piece is kind of insights, right? Like, or if you want, broadly speaking, measurement and insights. And that's an area where we have a very unique data advantage, right? Because we're an advertising business sitting on the shoulders of giants, which is the core marketplace. And I think we can do a much, much better job telling our customers information about people that are shopping in their establishments or the profiles of those folks, patterns over time that can then inform actions that they might take, not just on DoorDash, but also broadly speaking for their business. So so you'll see a lot more fine-grained measurement solutions as well as like more customer-based insights. And last but not least, and I think Jeremy, you kind of like dug in this already on the consumer side, right? Like we we started with the principle to be as native as possible, but as you can imagine, because that's also like not only like consumer first, but it's the path of least resistance in many ways. But as we scale our business, there's a lot of appetite for more interesting things, right? Like richer formats, more immersive experiences, partnerships during special moments like a Super Bowl or Valentine's Day. So we're investing a lot in that next generation of consumer experiences or ad formats, if you may. So I think like those three areas, as I'm looking ahead to 2024, are the ones that I'm like particularly passionate about. So if I was going to summarize this real quickly, it'd be better uh, infrastructure and tools, much more granular data and ways to cut it, and new and more innovative ad formats for the more of the brand side of things. Is that fair to say? Yes. I feel like, Jeremy, you're ready to join. Huh? We, we have a couple of roles we can talk about. Well, I, I think this is really interesting. And now uh, what I've got for you is our final lightning round. Quick, first thing that jumps into your head, uh, I've got five questions for you. And you just got to let me know the short version. So the lightning round starts with, what's the one competitive advantage you have versus other competitive solutions? Our consumer. So your consumer. Okay. Then that maybe sort of leads us to the next one. Why won't the big walled gardens like the Google or Facebooks or Amazons, why couldn't they crush you with a similar product? Logistics. Oh, good. All right. What is your biggest product or market challenge if you had to pick one? Scaling. Like I feel like every beginning has its challenges and we're scaling really fast. Wow, okay. I have to say that was a good and thoughtful one. I just the It wasn't really lightning. Was you gave me five that. seconds there, so... No, but you, you gave it some thought, so I felt it was meaningful. All right, so this is one that actually can go a couple different directions. But if you've got an advertiser coming to you, what's the number one reason they don't advertise with some of the terrific stuff you have? They have enough volume. So that, that's an interesting one. All right, I haven't heard that before. And here's the last one, and you may need to think about this one as well. So if your company was an animal, what animal would it be? Like a cheetah. We move so fast. Cheetah. So agile and move really, really fast. All right. All right. Well, I like where you're going with that. Toby, cheetah. Cheetah works for you? I was going to say ant. <laughs> Can lift 10 times your weight or 80 times your weight, whatever it is. Well, guys, I do want to say thank you. There's so many areas we could dig in deeper, but I think it's a fascinating business you're building. I just want to say thank you so much for spending time with me and the architecture audience. Architecture is where you can get smart fast, and we're interviewing amazing people, including the folks from the DoorDash Retail Media Network, building the future of ads. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. Nice talking to you. Thanks for listening. New interviews are added every week at Markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.